Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. He didn't have mighty fine wine. We understood every word he said. And know he's a friend of mine. Jeremiah 31. I'd like to share verse 29. And 30. I don't know. It's always a joy to have Al Mango in the building. I kind of preached this to him yesterday off and on a little bit and kind of refreshed it in my spirit. I don't know that I've ever shared a text from, uh, from, I've ever shared a message from this particular text, but there's some great truths here that I just want to bring your attention. In verse 29, in those days shall they say no more, the father have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This morning, if I had a thought or a theme or a title, it would be Stop Eating Sour Grapes. Stop Eating Sour Grapes. I I had some grapes. I wasn't sure if uh, Skylar and her friend was going to eat all my grapes before I got to teach this lesson. But uh, ironically, there are several boxes of grapes on the food table. I don't know that we've ever had that many boxes of grapes. There's a whole case of grapes out there. And uh, these are very good grapes. They're not sour. They're not bitter. When I think of sour and I think of bitter, I remember several years ago when we had Eagles Anonymous, I don't remember who it was, one of the guys in our program, our 15-month program, and uh, I convinced him to eat a green persimmon. And uh, I don't know if you've ever eaten a persimmon. It's kind of like an apricot or like, kind of like kiwi, I guess. It would be more a better parallel. But uh, this persimmon was not ripe. And the look on his face was worth the effort of convincing him to eat the green persimmon. Uh, I remember as a child uh, in California, in the neighborhood that I lived in, every yard had a fruit tree. And uh, I grew up with apricots and peaches and nectarines and avocados. And uh, we would get uh, trash can lids, and that would be our shield, and we would have fig wars. And uh, we'd, we'd pick a pile of figs, and then we would throw them at each other and try to use the shield. But I, I remember we had a special purpose for the pomegranate because when you took the pomegranate and threw it up against someone's stucco, it just left a big smear. And uh, it was a little later in life that I actually tried to, uh, to taste a pomegranate. And I, by the way, I love pomegranates. I love pomegranate juice, pomegranate jelly. I love that. But I made the mistake, if you've ever broke open a pomegranate, they are in layers. And there's a yellow that looks like a cheesecloth that protects the pomegranate seed. There are dozens of pomegranate seeds layered in a, in a pomegranate. I believe someone told me there's seven layers, which represents the uh, number of completion. Uh, po dry pomegranates were, at, were on the veil of the high priest before he went beyond the veil into the tabernacle. But on his, on his gar garment, there are pomegranates, so it's a fruit that God uh, recommended and honored. But I made the mistake of eating the yellow film in between the pomegranate seed and the, and, the, and the bulb. 
I've, if you've never tried it, don't. If you've ever tried it, don't. Uh, on both our girls and Skylar, we thought it was so funny when they were young, small, probably around two or three, to take a lemon and slice it and put the lemon in their mouth. How many have ever been involved in that felony? Yeah. Yes, several felons in the house. And uh, it was always fun to watch the response of anyone that ever ate a lemon, not knowing what they were eating or what they were. And we always trick a child, and it was always funny. How many of you remember you, you've been tricked? Somebody, when you were younger in life, they put a pomegranate, or they put something in your mouth that you, persimmon, that you did not like. I happen to love persimmons, but they've got to be using when they, if you shake the, the limb and they fall, they're ready. That's how you determine whether a persimmon is, is, is ready to eat. But so many times in life, I, I can relate to sour grapes. Can anybody relate to sour grapes? I don't know if you've ever eaten grapes before they're ripe, but there's a taste there that's uh, unparalleled with disaster. And what is so sad, you don't just taste it the rest of the day, but it sets your teeth on edge. How many knows what it's like to see a chalkboard and somebody get a piece of chalk and you go, that's what happens eternally, internally, when you, when you eat a pomegranate or, a, or a, a grape that is not ripe. It puts a bad taste in your mouth. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture that God is dealing with the house of Israel, and God is reminding them that because of the sins of their father, they had seen some bad times. And he's speaking to the Babylonians here. Most of you know the Babylonians destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and captured Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel took away their freedom, took away their rights, uh, turned them into eunuchs to serve the, the king's table. And uh, this was a real, real bad time in the life of Israel. They had, they had lost their hope. They'd lost their song. The Bible says they, they hanged their harps in the willow trees. They lost their joy. They were miserable people. And they were miserable because their fathers had dropped the ball and their fathers had messed up. But Jeremiah turns some things around in this passage of Scripture and gives the thought or the idea of stop eating sour grapes. Stop dealing with someone else's past, someone else's sin, someone else's failure. It's time to take inventory of yourself, stand up, and see what God is saying and see what God is doing. And God's saying, I'm going to remove the sour grapes from your life, and I'm putting things in your mouth and things in your life that is going to bless you. And in this passage of Scripture, there are three things that the Lord showed me this week. And the first thing is, and simply I will illustrate by my granddaughter's props. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. What's the next, what's the next words? Can't hold it back anymore. Is this Elsa? I knew that this is Elsa. And this is Anna. But both of you, most of you know the, the song, Let It Go. Let it go. Look at somebody and say, it's time to let it go. It's time to turn it loose. It's time to get rid of it out of your life. It's time to do inventory to get it out of your life. I thought what was an uh, inter interesting illustration this morning and usually every Sunday morning, there's a box in the lobby that represents fruit that has gone bad. And it's either soft or mushy or contaminated. And I, I believe that in our life, a lot of times, because we hold on to stuff that's not good for us, our life becomes contaminated. 
our life becomes mushy. Our life becomes just things in our life seem to be seem to be rotten. And with all of that, it seems that bitterness is always attached to bad times, bad things and bad memories. I believe this morning, if God was going to say anything at all, he would say it's time to let go. Let me bring my girls back up here. It's time to let go the things that have brought a bad taste in your mouth. Bitterness is, the definition of bitterness is simply a deep-seated anger. You're angry over something that occurred in your life or your father's life or your grandfather's life. There's a promise in the Bible that says that if you honor me, I will honor your generations to the thousandth generation, which is quite, that's a prophetic promise because when heaven and earth it passes away, and there's a new heaven and earth. There's still going to be generations upon the earth that are they're, they're, they're direct recipients of someone that did the right thing. He said, if you honor me, I'll bless you and your children in a thousand generation. But if you disobey me, if you disregard me, if you walk in sin, I will visit the sins of the father in a third and fourth generation. And being a pastor for 30 years in March and being a full-time minister 38 years Easter, uh, there's so many people that I've met in my life that seem to hold on to something that happened yesterday. They're holding on to an event or they're holding on to a, a, a something negative, something that, and, and that's, and you can't be around them five minutes. I mean, you're not in their life five minutes that they are rehearsing everything that they shared yesterday, everybody that hurt them, everybody that wounded them, how wrong they've been treated, how unjust they've been treated. And, they just, and every time they open their mouth, it seems like everything that comes out is pain and hurt and woe. And thinking of pain and hurt and woe, it's an honor to have Carmen in the house, our new bride. <laughs> I asked her, does it feel any different being married? She said, well, I got a different name. I thought that was, I thought that was, well, I thought that was well said. But there, there's, there's things in our life that bitterness will cause. And I want to address some things in your life that bitterness, bitterness can cause. In your psychological makeup, in your psychological makeover, bitterness can affect you. The way it can affect you is in the area of depression, becoming cynical, lack of trust, negative outlook. It seems like that everything that you look at is negative. Everything you look at is, is wrong. Everything you look at, there's no joy. There's no hope. It makes you a miserable person. And it brings us to a place where we start making excuses for our negativity. We blame everybody else. It's everybody else's fault. It's our mama's fault. It's our dad's fault. It's our pastor's fault. It's our employer's fault. It's our daughter's. It's our grandchildren's fault. It's always blaming somebody else instead of standing there and saying, you know what? It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Standing in the need of restoration, standing in the need of help and hope. The second way that bitterness can affect you is spiritually. And when you become bitter or walk in bitterness, it robs us of our faith. It steals our joy. It takes away our hope or any expectation of anything. And it causes us sometimes to be mad at God. Have you ever met anybody in life that's mad at God? Have you ever met anybody in life that just, they blame God for everything? And, you know, I think everybody's had the question of how could God allow this to happen? Or why did, God, why did this happen? 
Why did this baby die? Why did this husband, why? And I think that every one of us are entitled to have those questions. And there's many questions that God will answer in this lifetime. But there's coming a day when we're going to study war no more. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God. And we're going to rest not day and night praising him, worshiping him, and finding out why on earth some of the things happened that happened. My personal opinion, Gail, is when we get there, things are going to be so grandiose and so awesome and so special, so powerful, that things of yesterday won't matter anymore. Do I have a friend in the house this morning that, that can relate to that. It, it, can, it can affect you spiritually. It can alienate you from God. It, you can feel like that God has abandoned me. God has forgotten me. Have you ever said or thought or heard somebody else say, God is a million miles away? Anybody ever felt that way? God is a, it seems like when I call, it's like it's just bouncing back off the wall. It's not getting anywhere. And the Bible says God's hand is not short and they cannot save. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. But our sin has separated us from the love of God. And bitterness is a sin. It's an act of defiance. It's an act of anger that will keep us from walking in all the blessings and favor and anointing that God has for us. If you hang around somebody that's really bitter, you will notice they seem to have physical. And that's the second area of life that bitterness can affect you is physically. You find people with chronic disease, headaches, ulcers, joint pain, sleeplessness. Can anybody relate? And it seemed like if you worry about something long enough, I mean, I've, I've been told my whole life, you're going to get an ulcer if you, start, if you keep worrying about that. Anybody, anybody have an ulcer laid on them? Well, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. But I have met and counseled with people that are literally sick in body because they can't, Philippians 3 and 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are before. They're, they're caught. It's like, a, it's like a time warp. They're, they're caught in this window, in this generation, in this, in this time period, and they can't seem to get out of there to live in the here and now. Constantly frustrated by yesterday, constantly frustrated about the bad mistakes, the bad decisions, the people we allowed in our life to hurt us, the people that we hurt because of pain or, or indifference. And I believe that God wants you to move out of that realm into the realm he has for us. I notice that bitterness can affect us in the third area of our life is socially. We don't get close to people. We don't trust people. We avoid intimacy. We have, we're negative, we're difficult to get along with. This is not a good time to lift your hand that you're difficult to get along with. You're judgmental. It's difficult to communicate with you. I've, years and years and years, I've heard wives tell their husbands, tell me what you're going through. Tell me what you're experiencing. Tell me what's happening in your life. And we all have this Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, that we're too cool to ask for help. We're too cool to speak negative. We've got to be positive. We've got to be assertive. We've got to be productive. We've got to be a warrior. But sometimes people just want us, let the veil down, lower the, lower, the, lower the curtain, and tell us what you're really feeling, what you're really going through. Because Pastor Rhonda mentioned this morning, if you don't make a request known unto God, he, he, it's not that he can't, it's not that he won't, but he wants you to ask him so he can respond to your prayer. Now, there's times when God will bring us blessings we did not pray for, and God will bring us favor that we did not expect. But nine times out of ten, God says, you have not 
because you asked not. And there's a stairway leading into heaven found in Genesis when Jacob went to sleep. There's actual an, an entrance into heaven, and it's somewhere in Israel. And in that, on that stairway, there are angels coming up and coming down, and they're the meeting the needs of God's people. That's what they're there for, and God put them there. We don't pray to angels, but we can ask God to send an angel to bring the things that we need in life because they're promised to us in the Word of God. Do I have a friend in the house? Amen. We find ourselves on edge, overreacting. Do we have any overreactors in the building? The waitress didn't come to your table. She doesn't like you. She, you you've offended her. It's always everywhere, everywhere you go, you're, you're offended. I was watching a movie. Never mind. I'll, I'll, I won't go on that. <laughs> it was a really good movie, but I, won't, I, won't, I, won't, I don't want to deviate from my notes this morning. Uh, Ethan Jones was a famous missionary to Africa, wrote several letters, powerful writer. Here's what he says about bitterness. Bitterness comes to all, sours some, sweetens others. I choose to use it to sweeten my soul. Now, how in the world can you allow bitterness to sweeten your soul? When you let it go, the possibilities, the opportunities, and the doors that open after you let it go are phenomenal. A lot of us are stuck where, where we're at. I remember uh, when the uh, elephant was birthed, they tied a chain around the elephant's leg and they staked it to a post. And that elephant was limited to that area. That's, that's, that's the only place he could walk. That's the only place that he could go. As the elephant got older and got larger, it's obvious that the little chain on the elephant's leg would not hold him, would not sustain him, would not hold him back. The bad thing it is the elephant had a mindset that he was limited to that chain and stayed in those boundaries, even though he had the ability to yank that stake out and go wherever he wants to go. It's like Star Trek, to boldly go where man has never gone before, to explore the spheres and hemispheres of our life that God wants us to walk in, the happiness, the wholeness, the health that he wants us to walk in. But we are stuck in some kind of time zone, and many of us can relate to Groundhog Day. We wake up every morning with sunning share on the radio. And yesterday was just like today, and tomorrow's going to be just like today because we're stuck there. We can't seem to get out of that. You can use your bitterness to sour you, or you can use your bitterness to sweeten you. And again, let it go. Well, that's all well and good, but it still hurts. Whether I'm in some realm of where I don't need to be or whether I'm locked in some kind of time, whatever, it still hurts. It's real. The pain is real. The, injustice, the injust, injustice is real. The disappointments are real. So how do I rub this genie or twinkle my nose? How do I mysteriously or mystically rather get from here to get from there? And there are some ways that we can let it go. You know, apologies are great. I mean, you know what? If you've been wrong and somebody's offended you and somebody's wounded you, there's healing in apology. And there was a, there was a, uh, a guy in our life. He was in our life for a long time. Uh, we watched God do great things in his life, family's life. We watched uh, doors open for him to travel the world, doors open for him to minister uh, so many great, so many great opportunities that he encountered while he was a part of this house, and then some bad things happened, and this certain person chose to be on the side 
of the negative and begin to speak and begin to this and that. And his words brought damage. His words brought hurt. His words brought pain. I don't realize, I don't think we realize sometimes as kids some of the hurtful things we can say to our parents that damage them, like saying, I wish I'd never been born. Ever say that to your parents? I wish I had another father. Ever tell that to your parents? Only once did I ever tell that to my father, and never again did I, did I, I learned that lesson. But that's, that's where we're at. We're in this area of we need some kind of breakthrough. And so the, the years went by, and uh, I actually started praying for this person that had caused me personally a lot of hurt and harm, had caused my family a lot of hurt and harm, and it caused my church a lot of hurt and harm. And then out of the blue, one day I get a letter from this person that says, not if, but I have wronged you. I have done this. I have done that. I take responsibility for what I have done, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I met that person, and we talked, and we were able to, we were able to sort some things out. We were able to work some things out. And today, I feel like if I wanted to, I could pick up the phone and call him, and he would meet me at Zaxby's for a sandwich or a salad. That, that apology opened a door for me to begin to heal. And you might be in an area of your life where people have wronged you, have hurt you, have wounded you. We're ministering, I share with you, we're ministering to a family that at a very young age, the, the, the daughter was molested by a, a member of the family, and that went on for years and years, and now she's married with kids, and she's reliving some of those memories, reliving some of those moments, and we're trying to tell her, you got to leave those memories, you got to get rid of that diary, throw that journal in the trash can, and expect God to begin to write new things in your heart, new things in your life, new things in your marriage, new things in your, in your, in your social and your spiritual and your physical. So, Apologies are great. Restoration is great. Uh, the church was robbed several months ago, and uh, somebody felt bad about it and brought some of the stuff back. And that's always a good feeling when you've been robbed from something and somebody brings that back and brings restoration. That is, power, that is, that is awesome when they pay back. Restitution, the Bible says, if we have stolen, we are to go and we are to seven times pay back what we have stolen and it's a good feeling when you receive rest restitution, except especially from the, the uh, federal government. I got a check back that said they had taken two. I'll tell you what, that was a good feeling. That was, man, I felt restored. I felt, I felt like I wasn't in that let it, I was in that let it go mode where I could forgive the government that gave some of my money back. Can anybody relate to that? That is a wonderful feeling. And I agree, apology, restoration, restitution, anything that we can do that needs to be done, that's awesome. But the pathway out of bitterness is not restitution, it's not restoration, it's not apology. The, for, the, the key to get out of bitterness is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And forgive and forget are kissing and cousins. What you forgive, you have to forget. Right. I shared this in Bible study a few weeks ago, but all the hell I put Pastor Rhonda through from the age of 18 to 21, that window there when we lost our marriage, we lost our home, we lost our vehicles, we lost, we lost everything. We went completely, and she came back here to go to Lee. And then God miraculously restored us, and she saw the light. And pursued and came back. Not one time, I think we've been married 35 years. Not one time in 35 years has she ever brought up that three-year window. Not one time. Not one time did she ever remind me 
of the hell I put her through or the drugs I was doing or the, or the hurt that I brought my home. Not one time. See, forgive and forget have to hold hands. They have to be together. Sarah and Mary were sisters. Sarah stole Mary's boyfriend. Mary got very upset. They didn't talk for years. They didn't talk for 30 years. Mary got sick, bad sick, went to the hospital. Sarah found out after 30 years of silence, Sarah makes her way to Mary's bed. Mary sees her, sets up, and said, I've been told I don't have very long to live, so before I die, I just want you to know I forgive you. I forgive you. She said, however, <laughs> if I live, <laughs> we're still on. <laughs> However, if, if I live, I'm still going to be mad at you. And sometimes, guys, you just need to let it go. Hello, anybody? Forgive, forgiveness and forgive our cousins. And forgiveness is usually motivated by love. When you really love somebody and care about somebody, you're going to forgive them. Now, what you may not do is allow them back into your life as close as they were to hurt and harm you. But I've met a lot of people walking unforgiven. And what is so crazy, the people they're mad at, the, the, those people don't even know it. They don't know you're mad at them. They don't know you're frustrated. They don't know you're hurt. They don't know you're wounded. So you think in your anger and your bitterness, you're punishing them. You're not. You're punishing yourself. And I'm going to show you in just a minute where, where spiritually I can, scripturally I can show you that if you don't forgive and you don't choose to forget and, and go on, you're going to stay where you're at and you're going to miss all the promises of God that are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. Forgiveness is paramount to letting it go. Paramount. Pursuing the purpose and plan God has for letting go of the junk of yesterday, the hurt of yesterday. You know, when I reflect and when I look back, are the things that I would change in my life? Absolutely. But as I look at those things that I came through, I see that God has taken what the enemy intended for evil and God has worked it for my good. When I met somebody a few days, a few days ago and I told them that February 1st I would be 38 years clean, 38 years clean from cocaine. That testimony encouraged them because they were at a place where they weren't sure if they were going to stay clean or not. But when you're, when you're there and you say, I'm telling you, God can take care of this. God can work this through. I didn't read it in a book. It happened in my life. I was lost and undone without God or his son. And then Jesus reached down for me. Aren't you glad he came to where you, no matter how deep you were in sin, no matter what kind of filth or corruption, you could have been scum in the gutter. No matter where you were, he got down where you were, picked you up, washed you with his blood, cleansed you with his spirit, put a new name written down in glory, and then watches over your life every day so that things in life get better. Somebody help me with better. Ezekiel 35 and 3 is a very powerful passage. Ezekiel is rebuking Edom. Uh, Edom was very uh, negative towards the children of Israel. The children of Israel were going through a bad time. Edom took advantage of them and hurt them and wounded them. In Ezekiel 35 and 3, it says, Edom mistreated e Israel because they harbored an ancient hostility. It wasn't a new hostility. It wasn't a hostility that was about to come upon them. But it was a hostility that had been there for years and years and years. I do not have a prejudiced bone in my body. I don't know what that word means. 
But every once in a while, I'll hang around somebody that's prejudiced. And you wonder, why in the world are they stuck here when so many good things are happening and so many, so many just life-changing things? Why would you stay here in this hole, in this crevice, in this, in this dump? Why would you stay here when God wants you over here? That's always hard to grasp and understand. And you shall know the truth. And the truth you know shall set you free if you're harboring, if there's a hurt or a wound against a relative or an ex-wife, an ex-husband, an ex-boss, someone in your life, you need to let it go. Look at somebody and say, let it go. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he was a murderer. And I'm not going to get real deep there, but the Apostle Paul had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. It changed his life. It changed his name. It changed his destiny. It changed his direction. And the Apostle Paul in the third chapter said, I count not myself to have apprehended. He's wrote about half the Bible, but he's saying, he's being humbled here and saying, God's not done with me yet. God's still working on me. He's still the potter. I'm still the clay. I'm still yielded to his touch, and I'm allowing him to make me what he wants, wants me to be. But this one thing I do. It didn't say he went to a healing for damaged emotions class. It didn't say that he was laid, hands were laid upon him by Benny Hinn or Jimmy Swaggart. He didn't say he read it in a book. He heard it in the tape. He watched it on a video. Paul said, this one thing I do. It's a mental decision. I choose to forget the events of yesterday, and I choose to reach towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. He broke several commandments. But Paul said, I can't stay there in my past. I've got to pursue the future that God has for me. And he says, all glory is in the cross, not what I've done or what I've said, but all glory is in the cross because at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, help me, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. And that's what happens at that cross. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. When you go to the cross, you leave stuff, and God does not want you to pick it up. It's under the blood. It's under the shadow. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. For time's sake, I won't quote that chapter. But when you're in the shadow of the Most High, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. That's a heritage that God has given you. You confront and rebuke the darkness, and you declare and prophesy the light. I'm preaching good now. Amen. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said, What's the things you desire when you pray? Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And, watch this, when you stand praying, if you remember you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and forgive your brother. Next verse says, For if you do not forgive men their trespasses, God will not forgive you your trespasses. And that's heavy. That, that, really, that, really, is, that really is heavy. When you, when you think about if I'm coming to the house of God and I'm, and I'm bringing my gift to the Lord and then all of a sudden right in the middle of that promise there's a conjunction. How many knows what a conjunction is? There are eight parts of our English language. Does anybody know the eight parts? Well, I happen to know them. There are eight parts of speech. There's a noun, there's a pronoun, there's a verb, there's an adverb, there's an adjective, and there's a preposition, and there, there is a conjunction. A conjunction is a bridge. It takes one statement 
and it bridges it to the next statement. So what God is saying, if you want to receive everything I have for you, whatsoever you desire when you pray, if you want to step in that mode, then you have got to forgive those that have hurt you and wounded you. You've got to do this to get that. That's powerful. (laughs) The Bible talks in Ephesians (coughs) about getting rid of the root of bitterness. Aaron is so good to work in my garden, and I've given Aaron um, three choices. With the weed, you can just spray it, and it'll probably come back. Or you can whack it off at the ground, and it'll probably come back. Or you can take that Maddox and dig it out. And throw it, in the, throw it in the trash heap. Uh, all three ways work. The best way is to dig it up by the root. So it cannot come back and bite you in the gluteus maximus. That's the Hebrew for. Um, I don't know. I would say Atlanta is the worst city I've ever seen this happen. But if you ever go to Atlanta on Interstate 75 and you look off to the left or the right, you'll see this vine, this, 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 uh, this leaf called kutsu. And if you look at it, you will notice that kutsu has completely covered the tree or the bush. And if you were to cut the kutsu away, you would realize that tree or that bush was dead because the kutsu takes the life of that tree. We brought the kutsu from China thinking our cows would eat it. The Chinese cows didn't eat it. I don't know what in the world they made them think that our American cows would eat it. But we brought it here to be a supplement for the, for the farmers and ranchers. The cows wouldn't touch it, wouldn't eat it, and it tried to take over. And the only way to get rid of kutsu is to dig it up by the root and then burn the root. And that's what God wants to do. The things in your life that are, that are, that are choking you and, and trying to steal your joy, God wants you to dig it up and deal with it. The second area that God wants you to look at today is to live it up. Number one, let it go. Number two, live it up. And I have here somewhere in my life, I asked Pastor Rhonda for a mirror. This is not a very big mirror. It's not a very good mirror. It makes noise. But you can clip it on stuff. No, the clip's broken. Oh, you can stand it up. It's time for you to realize. Hold on. Good. It's time for you to realize... That God doesn't make junk. He went to a great deal of trouble to form you and shape you and mold you. Every word you would ever speak, every thought you'd ever think, he knows all of that. He brings people in our life to bless us. He opens doors that helps us pursue our destiny and the place that we are. Look at, turn the page back to 29, Jeremiah 29. Verse 4, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto whom all are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. Build ye houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit of them. Take you wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. All of a sudden, at a really bad time in their life, God's saying to enjoy the land. Enjoy where you're planted. Prosper. Bloom where you're planted. Take time out to enjoy things in life. Listen, if you don't uh, know what to enjoy in life, 
Go spend 11 days in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Go without AC for 24 hours and tell me how you do laying there in a 110 motel room, sweat just like you just took a shower, soaking wet. Go to a nation that doesn't have Dr. Pepper. Go to a, go to a country that does not have electricity. Uh, enjoy actually an Ez journey right now. They're walking everywhere. God's blessed them with a the car, but, but it's not here yet. But yesterday they texted me and told me they were at the health department. The health department is like five miles from this motor. They walked all the way. As a, you stay there, I'll come, I'll come get you. Thank God that we have a car. Thank God there's gas in our car. Thank God our transmission is. Come on now. There are so many areas in life. Look over at your neighbor and say, there's many good reasons to rejoice. I'm not broke. I'm not in prison. I'm not in jail. I'm not on drugs. I don't have thousands of dollars of fines to pay. I've got a good job. I've got good benefits. I've got a good church. I've got an awesome praise and worship team. I have a phenomenal pastor that preaches the truth. Things are really good in my life. Live it up. Live it up. And then lastly, Jeremiah 29.10. Oh, that's scary. Okay, I can do this. Most of you know what Jeremiah 11 says. But Jeremiah 29 and 10. After 70 years, seven is the number of perfection. Be accomplished at Babylon. I will visit you and perform my good word towards you causing you to return to this place. The things that God, the enemy has stolen, God's going to return them. He's going to bring them back to you. For I know the thoughts, look here, I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I've never seen a generation like this generation uh, adapt a scripture and make it a way of, of life. But this, this generation, from Christine to Courtney's age, they know, this, they know this scripture. I have purpose that you would have good things in your life. And it says, a peace, not evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall pray to me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The third phase, first phase is let it go. The second phase is live it up. The third phase is look forward. He's not done with you yet. I really believe, I shared this last week, I really believe our, la our best days are ahead. I really believe that. I believe that God's got some great things this church. This church is growing. God's moving. Miracles are taking place. People are finding their spouses. People are, people are reconnecting. It it's, it's amazing what God is doing, but I believe our best days are ahead. I believe it's just going to get better and better and better. If I choose today, if I wanted to, I could be a victim of my past, Al, or I can be a visionary of my future. So I can allow the things of yesterday to disqualify me and make me not want to get out of bed and go to work and go through the effort, do something different. Two businessmen asked me to pray today about their business. They're looking outside the box. They don't want to work for somebody else. They want to work for themselves. God said, I'll bring business from the north, south, east, and west. Commerce, that's what he calls it. And God will honor that when we put him first in every single area of our life. But you can choose to be a victim that, that deals with the past, or you can choose to be a visionary, which deals with your future. Victims have the tendency to look back. Visionaries have the tendency to look forward. Victims have the tendency to remember the former things. Visionaries have the tendency to forget the former things. 
Visionaries have the tendency to live in fear. Visionaries have the tendency to live in faith. Victims have the tendency to complain. Visionaries have the, content, the, 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 the tendency to worship. Victims have the tendency to hold a grudge. Visions have the attitude that they're going to forgive freely. Do I have a friend in the house today? Victims have a tendency to quit. Visionaries have the tendency to press on towards the mark. Vict victims have a tendency to complain and rebel. Visionaries have the tendency to say all things are possible to him that believeth. Victims whine. Visionaries win. Victims say, I'm weak. Visionaries say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Victim says, I can't. A visionary says, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. A victim says, the odds are against me. The visionary says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Do I have a friend in the house? I'm almost done. <laughs> Victims say, we are defeated. Visionaries say, we're more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. Victims say, we're alone. Visionaries say, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Don't be a victim of your past. Be a visionary of your future. As every head is bowed, as every eyes closed, one minute after 12, on this Sunday morning, would you take just a moment and just open your heart and your spirit and your psychological, your social, your emotional, your physical, and say, God, if there's any harbored hurt, if there's any negative seed, if there's a wound that hasn't healed, if there's an ought that's been brought against me that I haven't forgiven, if there's anybody in life I resent or I disrespect or I'm angry with, in the next few moments, bring it to me. Maybe I've said for years it didn't matter, I forgive, but I really haven't. Maybe the things in my life that I've asked to forgive, but I still think about them. The thought process is still there. I haven't forgotten those things. It seems like they come up every day or every other day. There's someone in my life that's hurt me, that's wounded me. I really never have forgiven them. I never forgave that ex-husband. I never forgave that ex-wife. I never forgave my dead Pete dad that abandoned, abandoned me and my mom, my brothers and sisters. I never forgave that person. Never forgave the government for this, my employer for that. I never, it's still there, it still hurts. If God has brought something to your mind, I want you to cast it from you today and say, God, I refuse to allow this root to grow up into a vine that would choke out my joy, choke out my future, choke out my destiny. Lord, I don't spray, I don't spray repellent on this plant. I don't whack this plant off at the ground, but I dig it up by the root and I lay it on the altar. I ask your Holy Spirit to burn it, turn it into ash, allow it never as a phoenix to arise out of the ashes and hurt me, but to forever be dealt with today. Search my heart, search my spirit, search my thought process, search my verbiage that I would begin to speak your word and declare your word and I would begin to seek out your promises. You are a promise keeper. You keep every promise that you make. And even though we drop the ball and mess it up, your plan B is just as good as plan A. You know the plans you have for us. Not just one plan, but Jeremiah said plans, plural. Because sometimes we miss the, 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 the original plan and we disobey and, 
we went maybe somewhere we shouldn't have married somebody we shouldn't have or been somewhere we shouldn't have. But Lord, we're coming back to your perfect plan. Allow that plan to manifest in our life and let us realize there is a reason to wake up in the morning for this is the day you've made. And we choose this morning to be instruments of joy and worship. We choose this morning to be saints, sons and daughters that would hear your word and that we would grow, that we'd apply the word in our life, that we would grow, that every day we would get stronger, every day we would commit things in our spirit from your word, every day we would speak your word and look for results in words that we have planted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. You all said, Amen. Did you learn anything today? Was today a blessing? Did you, did you determine, I am not going to be a victim? But I am going to be a victor. I am going to be a visionary. I am going to win this battle, this war. I'm going to see good things happening. Live life now. I needed some binoculars for looking forward, but I didn't have time to tell Pastor Rhonda where to look. So anyway, that would have been my third illustration would be binoculars. Looking forward, pressing towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God. We're going to give you a chance to sow in an offering this morning. We've been taught that tithe, we operate out of obedience. Offering, we operate out of love. We walk in obedience to bringing God's portion to the storehouse. And then when the opportunity opens for witness.